Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Joey. Um, it's good to be back with you here this morning uh, to open up God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles with you, you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. We're going to be starting a new series this morning called For the Father's Eyes Only. That's For the Father's Eyes Only. And um, we found that little series that we're going to be doing is going to be in Matthew 6. Um, as you can tell, we've moved from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6 finally. Um, it's taken us about 10 months to do so, um, and that was also with a break in between with the uh, Tough Questions series. Uh, and some of you might be asking the question, why has it taken us so long to journey through one chapter? Now we've only moved on to the second one, and we still have another one to go. Um, this year we've uh, started a different type of preaching, which we call um, expository preaching which is a more systematic approach to scripture. It takes a little bit more time. It's a bit more slow. Um, and it's really countercultural to um, the world we live in. The world we live in is all about fast things, instant, now gratification, right? That's why we like our fast food. We don't like sitting at stairs longer than 15 minutes for our food. Uh, how dare they take so long to get our food so uh, ready? Nothing's as frustrating as slow internets, right? If you ever want to know whether or not you should marry someone and they, how good their character is, just give them a computer with slow internet and you'll see the real true self come out. Um, is, we like the instantaneous things now at our fingertips when we want it, how we want it. Um, the world's about glitz and glamour, all about the big stuff, but yet expository preaching is counter to that. It's slower. It takes its time. But there's some, there's, there's some good reasons behind that that we need to understand. The, the first one is we need to understand that this book in which we open up every Sunday and we unpack is God's word in which we believe every single part of it is inspired by him. Every single part of it's beneficial to us. It's beneficial to our growth. It's beneficial to life as a whole. And so as we unpack it in, in depth and, and slowly, we're not just going around trying to pick bits that we like and enjoy. But rather what we believe is as we go through this from one section to the next, every single verse, that we get the entirety of God's word that is beneficial to us. It's a healthy diet. It's making sure that you get all your vitamins, all the protein, all the carbs, not just the sugars. Not just the sweets in which we like to unpack. It's making sure that you get those vegetables in, that good meat in to grow and become strong and mature. And so the danger for us as preachers is that if we get to just preach what we want all the time is we, we jump to our hobby horses, right? Have you ever uh, sat under a preacher or gone to and listened to someone and they preach about the same thing over and over again? They particularly like grace, and so what they do is they preach on grace each and every single week, but they never preach about anything else. Or they like heaven, and so what they do is they preach on heaven every single week, which is great, but on six months down the line, it gets a bit intense. We want to move on to something else. Well, this ensures that and holds us as accountable as preachers to make sure that we preach stuff that we wouldn't normally preach. I'll give you an example. Just in Matthew 5, there is some stuff that I would never have touched if I did not get to, had to journey through this book. Divorce. I, didn't, I would never sit on my porch one day having a bride thinking, what am I going to preach this week? And go, oh, you know what would be nice? Let's talk about divorce. It just wouldn't happen. But because we go through this systematically, man, we come across the section. 
We have to deal with it. Why? Because Christ taught it. And so we get a, a balanced view, a, a balanced diet. It's, it's, good for, it's good for who we are. Not only that, expository preaching is slow. It's different to the world in that, it's, it, as I said, it's, the world is fast-paced. Everything's now and instant. It's slow. But the thing about maturity is it takes time. You don't get mature overnight, right? It doesn't happen. It takes time. And so there's this need for us to slowly go through God's word because it takes time to apply it slowly. It, it takes effort. It takes conscious thought. It takes breaking of habits. It takes a different lifestyle to be formed and developed. That doesn't happen overnight. And so as we go through it systematically, we do so because it takes time to, for us to apply it. It gives us a chance. What did I hear this week? Man, let me put in my life. And, and may I say that if you have been doing that, you probably aren't frustrated that we're taking so slow. You aren't frustrated because you just realize, man, there's so much for me to still do. And the question I have for you is, we've gone through Matthew 5, which has been one of the most um, challenging parts of Scripture that I've ever had to preach on. How much have we applied it? Matthew 5, what is in there that you've applied? What isn't there that you haven't applied? You still have time. There's still, there's still time to do that. And, and we're going to be going through Matthew 6, and we'll go through it at a good pace so that we can apply it to our lives and become mature in our faith. And so there's this real depth of spiritual growth that happens when we take our time to go through. There, there's a passage that I've been, I read a few weeks ago in, in Hebrews 6. The writer of Hebrews talks to, um, the, he's writing to his audience, to the Hebrews, and, and, he, and he says this, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and extractions of washing, uh, washings and the laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He's saying, man, let's go on to deeper things. Let's move on. And if we just preach on the fun stuff, like I love, and I, I'm not even, I, I genuinely love preaching um, that Jesus calms the storms. Man, I love that passage. I love to preach it. Give me an opportunity somewhere to preach. That's the passage I like. It's encouraging. It's exciting. But there is this need for us to move on to deeper things than just that. Let's move on to maturity. Let's do, let's do all of what God's word has in store for us. And so this style of preaching in which we've taken on, man, it's for growth, it's for maturity. So this, the series that we're doing called uh, For the Father's Eyes Only is exactly that. It's how can we live our lives in such a way that's mature, that's such a way in which we are under the eyes of God. We, we're constantly aware that God is looking at us, and so we're going to live a life of faith in that manner. We're going to live a life of maturity, a life that's going to glorify Him. That's what we're going to pursue. That's what we want. We want a life of maturity. And my, my fear is that so often as Christians, we don't grow in our maturity, and we don't live with this motivation of living under the eyes of the Father only. We live lifestyles that we want to. I had a, a troubling conversation about 11 months ago. I uh, went to go get a haircut at a place I don't normally go. Um, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I, get, I like having my haircut done by the same person. She charges me probably way too much money, but I know she does a good haircut. 
And so I don't risk it because there's nothing worse than having a haircut and you don't like it and then you have to wait for it to outgrow and then you can get another one done. And I know she does my hair the way I like it and so I go to her. She gives me a 15-minute uh, head massage as well. That has something to do with the reason why I pay lots of money. And so I go and have this fantastic time there but she had the audacity to go away on holiday um, I don't, to Vietnam for three weeks and it meant that I needed to get a haircut in that period, because I'm also, once I think I need a haircut, I need it now, and, uh, and I couldn't wait three weeks. I just couldn't. I can't handle it. So I spoke to Mark Kukumura, and I said, Brie, where do you get your haircut done? I'd like to go and get one. Now I'm putting myself out there. And I rocked up outside of a, a barber in Beacon Bay in Retail Park. You might know there's one, there's a barber there. And I walked inside, I sat down, just one other guy, it's dead quiet, there's no music, there's no head massages taking place. It's just, the guy's not even talking to each other, it's just like, just your hair getting cut, it's quick, it's impersonal. And I was on my day off and I'm tired from a busy weekend and I'm like, this is great. No conversation, this is awesome. I'm just going to get my hair cut, 15 minutes I'm going to be gone. So the guy in front of me finishes, and it's just uh, me and the barber now left in, in the thing. And I sit down at the chair, and he says, what do you want? And I explain to him. He goes, okay, that's it. Two minutes go by of him starting to cut my hair, and I think he feels like he needs to ask me something, and he asks me the question that us pastors love to be asked is, what do you do? Which generally means that like, if it's fun and it's bubbling and I'm talking to a non-Christian and they're laughing and joking and often swearing a lot and they ask me, hey, Joe, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm a pastor. It becomes really awkward very quickly. Like now I don't know how to act. Can I talk like I was? I'm embarrassed by the way I'm talking. So, so anyway, and so he asked me what I do. Now this is awkward in a different situation because now we weren't talking and he's a Muslim. So he's from Morocco. And he asks me, so what are you? Oh, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, okay. Can't speak very good English. And 30 seconds later, he dives into it. Let's go. And there's this big debate that takes, takes place. Now, massive. Like, he's talking, I'm talking. We're going along, and we go for 45 minutes. Haircuts were 15 minutes. We went for 45 in that between the stage, guys, guys are walking in, sitting down, realizing a pastor's debating with a Muslim and gets, and they get up and, oh, I've got a phone call and they just leave. Like, I can't sit here. I'm not going to, this is way too weird. And his biggest, biggest, well, his starting point and the one we focused on the most, his biggest apologetic pointing out that Christianity was not real to me was he says, Joe, I have clients that come in here that claim to be Christian." But you sleep with their girlfriends, cheat in business, lie all the time. How can your Christianity be true? We, after discussion, went on to other doctrines that Muslims battle to hold on to. But his biggest apologetic church was the way that we live disproves our God. Now, I could talk him through that and stuff, but the challenge that we have here is that we need to be living our lives and living for Christ. Taking this seriously. It's not just a, a Sunday religion in which we come and sit, dress up all smart, or well, I have this, this morning, and, and we sit here and we, we listen to, to a guy preach and we go, amen, yes, we raise our hands during worship and we leave and we live our lives the way we want to. But rather we are called to live a life, a life that is for His glory every day, Always. 
And you see, the question that we have then, well, if we don't live our lives for Christ, does that mean we're not saved? Does that disprove our God? And, and the answer to that is no, just because uh, the, the issue here is not that our salvation is deficient. The issue here is that our application of our salvation in our lives is deficient. Does that make sense? Man, our salvation is not deficient, but living out this faith is deficient. And that's the problem here. And what do we need to learn and what Matthew 6 is going to teach us and what Christ is trying to focus is how do we live out our faith? How do we apply it in everyday lives? How do we do this Christian walk and apply it to it? So that's what Matthew 6 is about, is about making sure that we grow in depth, grow in maturity, and live for the glory of God. So let's read the passage that I asked you to open up. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 3 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father uh, who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in, this, uh, in secret, and your Father who is in uh, secret will reward you. I read an extra verse there. Here Christ says in this passage there are primarily two motivations in which we tend to use in order or need to or can use in order to live our lives out properly for the glory of God to apply this faith as we live our lives. And the first one he points out is that we can use the praise of others and the, the, their recognition and acknowledgement as a motivation for us to live out our lives. And the second one is that we can use the Father's eyes, that He looks upon us, He praises us for what we do as a motivation. Does that make sense? Those are the two that we have. And the first one there in which we have is this idea of living for the uh, appraisal of other people, uh, the praise of other people. And, and Christ calls this in this passage, he says, those types of people, the Pharisee here is the hypocrite. Now, hypocrites, we've spoken on in tough questions. You can go listen to it. If you've missed that one, Gary can help you out. If you bring your flash disks, Gary will put all the uh, tough question series for you on a flash disk, and that's one of them. But Hypocrite here comes and derives from the word which was used for actors back in the day. They would wear masks and they would act out and there would be something they're not, right? That's pretty simple. You, you've got an, a mask on you and you act out and be something you're not. And so a hypocrite is someone pretending to be something they're not for the sake of others. Also, an actor does everything that they do for the praise, at the end of it, what they do, they come and stand at the stage and they bow and everyone applauds and says, well done for what you've done. And so a hypocrite is something, someone who does something for other people and acts, what, acts out what they're not for the praise of other people. Does that make sense? And we live in this tension as Christians all the time. We live it with our non-Christian friends, colleagues, and family members. When we're around them, sometimes the tension and the difficulty is, man, do I act differently around them? They all laughing and joking and doing things that they shouldn't do. I do the same. That's the tension is being pulled. Let's do what they do. Why? Because I want to fit in. I want them to think I'm great. And so 
we do that for the, our non-Christian friends. We fall into the temptation of doing sinful things that they do. On the same aspect, we can then live our lives doing things that we shouldn't do there. And we come to church, and what do we do? We act around our Christian friends as something else. Oh, things are great. God is good. I'm living for Him. My devotion was great. We act out differently. Uh, Pete often says when he starts off uh, worship, he says, um, some of you have come here, you've had a fight with your wife and you've kicked your dog. And we, we have. We've had a fight with our spouse. We've, we've kicked our dog. We're angry. And when we get here, what do we do? The guys, the fantastic hospitality team meets you at the gate. You go, hey, how are you? Oh, man, everything's amazing. We act differently. Why? Because we want people to see us as something that we aren't actually at that moment, Right? We act out very, very differently. And this is what a, a hypocrite is. We live for the motivation of other people's praise, what they might think of me. But Christ says there's another one, is that we need to live for the Father's eyes only. We need to live for Him and His praise and Him looking on us. Now, there's a big difference here. The difference here is that with living for the praise of others, they only get to see my actions. They only get to see my mask. They only get to see the outside. They don't get to see the inside. So let me give you an example. And I'm confessing some sin here with you this morning. There is someone not here. I just want to clarify this. There's someone that is in my life at the moment who kind of gets on my nerves a little. And, um, and it's frustrating and, and a bit of annoying. And, and, and I'm just confessing sin here. And what I do is when I see that person, I'd be the good Christian. I am. Or at least I think I am. And I go and I, hey, how are you? How are things going? And I act very, very nice. Or at least I try. My wife knows who I'm talking about. But in my heart, deep inside of me, there's annoyance, and there's frustration, there's irritation, there's resentment towards this person. Now, living for the praise of other people, man, you guys see me act all nice. Oh, Joe's such a fantastic guy. And if I'm living for the, the, the praise of other people, it ends there. Because you've all seen it. You all think I'm good. But if I'm living for the Father's eyes only, man, what does he see? He doesn't see my actions, but he sees my heart. And so the challenge comes, I can't just act like this. I need to become what I'm acting. I need my heart to change. You see, there's a, there's a subtle difference, but it's massive. It's massive because the action needs to reflect what the heart is doing. The heart needs to catch up with what the action's doing because God sees the heart. We sang about that this morning. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You don't care about a song. You care about where my heart is at. It's about the heart. And you remember the story, we've spoken about it before, of, of Samuel going ahead and choosing kings, choosing the next king after Saul. And he lines up Jesse's sons. And he looks at the oldest and says, that is the one. Look at him. Look at his outside. He's tall in stature. He carries himself well. He speaks well. And then God says, no, 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 no. Man looks at the appearance, but I look at the heart. And see, the, the big difference with living it for the Father's eyes only means it challenges the innermost being of who I am. It requires a greater integrity. It requires a greater sanctification, a greater becoming more like Christ because the appearance 
means nothing. It's all about the heart. And so our motivation needs to become, man, I'm living under the eyes of this Father. And there's this greater sanctification that takes place as a result. And I, I want to say before we move on, is, is that being or desiring the praise, desiring praise is not, not wrong, all right? I think that desiring praise is a God-given God has given us this desire to be praised. I think, though, that what comes with our natural desire or our sinful desires is that we've taken this desire of praise that it was meant to be, I need to be praised and, and, and hear the will done of my Father, but we've taken it and I've gone, no, no, I want the praise and the will done of those around me instead at the expense of living for the Father. And so I want to live for God, but actually, man, here are these people, and they want me to live this way, and I want their praise, so I live for them at the expense of living for God. Does that make sense? But God has given us this desire to live for Him, to be praised by the King of Kings, to be accepted and, and loved by the King of Kings for the things that we do. And that needs to be our motivation there instead. And, and, we can, and the praise of people can often be used by God to encourage us. The gift of encouragement is a spiritual gift. It's a fantastic one. Man, we need more people to be more encouraging, to come alongside and say, yo, you did a brilliant job. I can see what God is doing there. Oh, man, God is doing this in life. You're growing. You're this, you're that. And God uses those people to encourage you as his mouthpiece for, for you to be encouraged. It's great. But our our desire needs to be not whether or not people praise me or not. I just want to hear the good and well done, my good and faithful servant by my father. Man, if others come along and praise me, that's fine. But if they don't, that's just as fine. Because I want what God has for me, his praise, no one else. It's a subtle thing, but we need to watch it. And we'll speak about more of that as we go through the series. But I want to stop here and just make a point of the magnitude of what Christ is saying when he calls God Father. Even daily, most of us, have, I'm sure, have grown up in church or been in church for many, many years, and the idea of God being Father is something that we've heard regularly. It's nothing new to us, but in the Sermon of the Mount, this was the, the third time. Jesus uses it twice in Matthew 5, and he uses it again here in chapter 6. This is the third time in the, and in, the, in the sermon, the first time ever that Jesus calls God Father. He says, your Father. You've got to understand the magnitude of what this was for Jewish people. They understood God as being great and holy, which he is. We sang about that today. But someone who was far, um, not removed, but someone who was great that you could barely approach. You need to be cautious in coming towards because he's holy and great. To a point that they, they lost the name in which God gave Moses. You know, we call it Yahweh or Yahweh or however you want to pronounce it. We actually don't know the pronunciation of what it, how it's properly said. It's because Jewish people uh, revered the name so much that they would never say it. And for centuries upon centuries, it was never, ever said. And so now we don't know what, how to actually pronounce it. We have educated guesses, but that's about it. Because they revered this God so much, they would not even say his name. They called him Adonai instead. They made up their own name, which meant Lord or Master. You can see the imagery here. 
And yeah, Jesus comes along and says, man, God is Father. He's, he's personal. He's, he's, he's a God in which we're able to relate to and know and come into his presence as Father. It's, it's this beautiful imagery. And while the Jewish people, this might have been a shock for them, I think sometimes we've lost the shock of that because we've heard it so much. We've forgotten that God is Father and we're able to come to him as Father. That's incredible. This great God, we're able to come to him as our Father. But Jesus is, is very cautious and careful in when he uses the word or says your Father or our Father. In fact, the, the times he uses it, he's, uh, he picks the times in which he says your Father. When his disciples are around, um, and the, there are people that have, uh, are followers of Christ who have accepted his Messiahship, then he says, your father. But when he's in a general crowd of people he doesn't necessarily know, he does not say your father, he says my father. You see, to be able to call God father, you need to be a follower of Christ. God is not your father if you are not a follower of Christ. He's not. In fact, what we see in John 8, um, 44, it talks about that if you do not follow Christ or where we were before we followed Christ, it says that your father is in fact the devil. Let me read it to you. It says, John 8, 44, it says, you are um, of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. That's hectic. And that's why we, before we became Christian, man, it just felt so good to live in sin because that felt like home. That it was a part of who we were. To do those things was great and enjoyable. But what happens is there's some point when we become Christian that we, God draws himself to us or draws us to him and says, come, come and follow me. We see this in, in John 6 verse 40 says, 4. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him. And God comes in the power of his spirit and he reveals to us how wretched we are, how naked we are, how blind we are. And all of a sudden we realize before this holy God, we have fallen short, far short. And that there is a Savior that has come and his name is Jesus and he has come to wash away my sin. He's come to take away my sin. And by the blood of Christ, our sins are washed away so that we might know him. And we might go from being dead to being alive. From being a slave to sin to suddenly becoming a child of God. It's incredible. It's an incredible thing that we move into this place of being able to be called sons and daughters of the living God. And for those of you who might not know Christ this morning, this is a f freely available to you. It's readily available. Christ says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. There's this invitation to come to him. This is, there's this invitation for you to come and know him. And if you want that, it is there that you might become a child of God and know God as Father. But might I also speak to those of us who are Christian this morning. 
Mark touched on this last week. He spoke about it. He spoke about who we are, our identity. This is who you are, church. This is who you are. You are a child of God. He spoke about last week. Jacob has had all these names given to him. He's a deceiver, but God comes along and changes his name to Israel. There's this new identity that comes. And you might have done horrific things in your past, but that does not define you anymore in Christ. He has come and redefined you as a child of the living God. This is who you are. And I, I, I feel the Lord is saying to us this morning, man, we have this tendency to live like we were in the past and not who we are. We run to the old things. We run to the things of the past. Enjoying them, running in them, satisfying ourselves in them. But no, God has given us something far greater, something that lasts far more, and that is to be a child of God and all the blessings that come with it. And man, we need to stop running to those things. Paul says in, in, in Galatians 5 verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You have have been set free. The habitual sin that you're struggling with, Christ has set you free from it. The things that you're struggling with, Christ has set you free. And what you have is this wonderful opportunity to be able to live in the freedom that is yours in Christ, and that is to be a child of God. To experience the love of the Father. To experience the riches that come with knowing the Father. His presence, this great ability to approach Him. This is yours in Christ. It's not something that's earned. It's something that is freely given. Something that's freely given. And we have this tendency to want to earn it all the time. Or hold on to it. And by hold on to it, I mean we have to do things in order to make sure that I'm still loved by this Father. No. No. It's secure in Christ. Not by what you do. The prodigal son, Peter mentioned it this morning. He has a, a son of the Father. He takes in his inheritance. He runs off and he blows it all. He goes and spends it on prostitutes, on drinking, and he goes into the worst of the worst place and he finds himself in a pigsty, starving, nothing left. And he thinks to himself, man, what do I need to do? I can can go go to my father's house. The servants are treated better. And as he arrives, what happens? The father is looking for his son, looking out and sees him in the horizon and runs to him. In Jewish culture, men never ran. Never did. But he doesn't care about his dignity. He doesn't care about his name because his son is coming back. His son who who did the worst of the worst is coming back. You see, it's not lost, church. It's not gained. You are who you are through Christ. And how he runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He's been in a pigsty. He doesn't care. He loves him. This is who We are because of the work of Christ. Not because of what you've done. Not because you're doing anything. Not because you're involved in anything. Only because Christ has done it. And you have received it. Do you have this wonderful privilege? And the call for us this morning is to live 
in the freedom that you have as a child of God. It is yours. Believe it, accept it, live in it. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that we can call you Father. What an honor. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who spoke creation into being is the same God who says the words, I am your Father in Christ. Lord, I I ask that you would help us. I ask that you would help us as a church to be able to live in this wonderful freedom, this wonderful privilege. May the idea of us being your sons and daughters in Christ just enrich our hearts. May it change the way we live. May we live as if we are your sons and daughters under the gaze of the Father. Lord, we have the tendency all the time to want to be about our kingdom, about who we are, what we've done, about us, us, us. But Lord, may you help us by the power of your spirit to be able to help us not to be prideful, but to live for Christ and his glory. To live for you, Lord. That's what we desire. It's tough. It's difficult. So we ask that you give us the strength to do so. And I pray for those who don't know you here this morning, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, as the holy God, as the King of kings, that they would see you and see how wretched they are, but also know that there is this free gift of salvation that is in Christ, readily available for those who will believe. And I pray, Lord, that you would open open their eyes to see that to see the love of the Father for them. For you loved us so much that you would send Christ. We pray this and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.